like that, 904 beer song here today. When Charles Schwab was president of Bethlehem Steel, he challenged a management consultant named Ivy Lee. He said, if you'll help me get more done, I will pay you anything within reason. Mr. Lee asked him to take out a piece of paper and write on that piece of paper the things that he had to do that day. So Charles Schwab began to write the things that He needed to get done that day. He finished. He looked up at Mr. Lee and he said, what's next? He said, I want you to number them in the order of their importance. The things that you need to get done with the first, number one, two, three, in sequential order. So he took the list and he did that. He said, what's next? He said, I want you at the beginning of tomorrow to begin on number one and don't do anything else until you finish number one. When you finish number one, go to number two. Do as much on number two as you can get done and then go to number three. And don't worry about it if you don't finish the list. You will have gotten the most important things done that day that you needed to have done. After you have convinced yourself that this method will work, I want you to introduce it to your employees and let them use it for some weeks, and then you can pay me whatever you think it's worth. Two months later, Charles Schwab mailed a check to Ivy Lee for $25,000. He later said, that's the best money that I ever spent. Benjamin Franklin said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time for that's the stuff life is made of. Queen Elizabeth said on her deathbed, all my possessions for another moment of time. The word time and times is found in your Bible 765 times. Felix waited for a convenient time, Acts 24-25, that so far as we know never came. Now is the accepted time, 2 Corinthians 6.2. The time is short, 1 Corinthians 7.29. Leslie Weatherhead wrote a book some time ago. It was entitled, Time for God. In that book, he condensed life down to one day period of time, beginning at 6 in the morning and ending at 11 p.m. And then he calculated where a person would be at each year of life on that one day calendar. If you are 15 years old, it's 10.25 a.m. on your day of life. If you are 20 years old, it's 11.34. If you are 25, it's 12.42 p.m. If you are 30, it's 1.51. 35, 3 o'clock. 40, 4 o'clock. 50, it's 6.25. 55, 7.34. If you're 60, your clock is at 8.42. If you're 65, it's 
And if you're 70, it's 11 o'clock. Life is so fleeting, we dare not waste a day. We dare not waste an hour. We dare not waste a minute. Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 90, and let's study a section that was written by the lawgiver himself, Moses of the Old Testament. The only psalm written by Moses, therefore, it's the oldest of the Psalms. Moses lived about 1500 B.C., about 500 years before David, who wrote many of the Psalms. And this psalm is thought to have been written on the occasion of Israel coming to Kadesh Barnea. And you may remember that they rebelled against God at Kadesh Barnea, sent the spies over, 12 spies, one from each tribe. They came back, ten with an evil report. We cannot take it. There are giants in the land, walled cities, fenced. There's no way we can conquer them. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said we are well able to take it. But the people believed the ten spies instead of the two. And they were afraid to go. And God said, okay, you're not going to go. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And there is little or nothing known for 38 of those years, from the second year to the 40th year. They just wandered around going to funerals for 38 years. I figured it up one time. I think it was about 100 funerals a day that they had during that 40 years in order for all those who were 20 years old and upward to die within that period of time. Wasted lives, wasted years. And during that time, Moses is thought to have written Psalm 90. And it's about life, the frailty of life, and the value of time. There is a section in verses 10 to 12 that we'll focus on tonight. If you want an outline of where we're going, we're just going to focus primarily on verse, 12, on verse 10. We're going to look at life's outer limits, three score and ten years, or by reason of strength, four score years. Then we're going to look at life's common heritage, labor and sorrow, and then life's sudden end, and then life's final transition, we fly away. All that in one verse, but powerful messages from a single verse of Scripture. Let's dive into it and see what we learn tonight in Psalm 90. Now read with me verse 10. The days of the years are three score years and ten. That's an unusual way to express that. He could have either said the days of our lives or the years of our lives, but he expressed it as the days of the years of life because that's how life is measured out to us. You see, God invented time when He, invented, when he created the world, the evening and the morning were the first day, Genesis 1-5. God created the seasons, the fall, the summer, the spring, and the winter, Everything that we have, uh, all our measurements of time are based on creation. You have God giving us a day, which is the length of time for the earth to rotate on its axis once. A week is the measure of time that God used to create the world. Six days rested on the seventh day. A month is the length of time it takes the moon to orbit the earth. At a year is the length of time, of course, it takes the earth to orbit the sun. So everything 
Every time-related event begins in Genesis chapter 1 at the creation, but God Himself lives outside of time. A thousand years is as a day, and a day is a thousand years. Second Peter 3 eight. God lives outside of time, but He created time as a way for us to measure our lives here. And our days are limited. Uh, so far, as best I can tell, God has created 250,000 days. And if you live a normal lifespan, you will have about 29,000 days to live. This text expresses it in years, three score and ten, 70 years, or by reason of strength, four score years. This may relate to the particular circumstances that Moses is dealing with, as I mentioned from Kadesh Barnea. That is, that that generation, because of the punishment God had given to them, they were only going to live a set number of years and no more. They didn't all die, of course, that last year. They were all dying during those 40 years. And every one 20 years old and upward was at the maximum length of their life would be 40 years. So if you were 20 when that message from God, when that punishment was handed down, then you would only live at the most to be 60. If you were 30, you would live to be 70. If you were 40, you might live to be 80, but that would be it. So everyone died within that 40-year span. But it also may relate more generally, and this is the way we usually use it, as a general marker for the length of human life, the life's outer limits, if you will. Now, it has not always been the case. When you read early in the book of Genesis, you read of those who lived very long lives before the flood. Genesis chapter 5 gives the ages of the great patriarchs 900 and 30 years, 905, 912, 910, 905, 969 with Methuselah. The average age of those patriarchs, 857 years. And you thought you, and your wives thought you had to live with your husband so long time. Can you imagine? After the flood had changed though, the average lifespan after the flood was 323 years. Some believe that our world changed. The canopy that was protecting man from the ultraviolet rays of the sun no longer was as thick above us. And the oceans now much deeper and larger than they were before the flood. And therefore the lifespan came down. I don't know if that's the case or not. It does make some sense. And there are sea, there are sea shelves, shelves out in the water that seem to be what may have been the banks of the, or the shores of the ocean before, but for whatever reason, lifespan went from 857 to 323. And then the latter part of the book of Genesis, that, that slows down the time. There are 2,500 years covering the book of Genesis. But the first 11 chapters go really fast, like you're skipping a rock across water and it just jumps and jumps. And, well, that's the way the first 11 chapters are. It just hits the highlights of humanity for the first uh, 22,000 years or so. Abraham's dated about 2000 B.C. And so prior to that, 2000 years before Abraham, 2000 years back to Abraham, 2000 years since Jesus was here. So 6,000 years all the way back to the creation. And in that early time, just those highlights, and then it slows down. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, four consecutive lifespans. And they lived 175, 180 147, 110 years, average of 
153 years of those four great patriarchs. So again, it's come down again, half toward the end of the book of Genesis. By the time you get to the United Kingdom of Saul, David, and Solomon, Saul, Saul lived 72 years, David about 70, depending on how you count the half year that he was in Hebron, and then Solomon 60. So, so now you're down to 67 years for those three kings. Average lifespan today in the world is 71 years. Average American lifespan average is 78.8. Men live 76 years. Women live 81 years on average. But just about right where Moses said here in this passage, three score in 10 years or by reason of strength, four score years, but the average is still right in that same 10-year period for humanity even to this very hour. Now when you look at that and you think about there are two perspectives in this room tonight. There are the young people who are thinking, that's a long time, 70 years? There's another class in here who's thinking, that is a short time. It is a short, it is a long time in some ways. It's a long time to be tempted and tried. What if your teacher at school, when you get back this fall, says, um, next week we're going to have a test. It's going to last all day. An eight-hour test. Would you think that was a terrible test? At the end of the semester, you have final exams. It lasts all week. And we stress over that. A week of test. Suppose you had to have a month of test to get out of college. But we have 70 years of testing. Tempted with sin. 70 years that we have to battle the devil. We never know where he's coming from. We have the ability to defeat him, but it's a constant struggle. 70 years is a long time from that perspective, isn't it? And it's a long time in relation to God's other creations. A horse lives to be about 30 years, a mule about 40, an elephant 70 years. Uh, an eagle, 20, a raven, 17, a squirrel, 18. Did you know a squirrel lives 18 years? I didn't know that until I looked it up. You know, a bee will live a year. A butterfly will live a year. All of them within the realm of the purpose of what God made them for and where they fit on the food chain. They do exactly what God needed them to do to make this world sustainable. There are a few animals that live longer than us. Tortoises, some kinds of fish may live up to 200 years. But overall, man lives a very long lifespan compared to God's other creations. It's a long time in that perspective, but there's another perspective. It's a short time as we look back on it. It's a short time to, pre- to prepare ourselves to meet God in the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Every man shall receive what the deeds done in his body, whether it be good or bad. And we've only got a limited number of days to prepare to stand before God as it were naked with all of our secrets out and God to read from His book the deeds of our lives. Read from this book that we had to go by. Read from the book of life to see if our name is there. It's, it's in a way a short time to prepare ourselves to, be, to stand before God in judgment. 
And then again, it's a short time to get done everything that we want to get done in life. I turned 50 years old this year. 30 didn't bother me. 40 didn't bother me. 50 has caused me pause. My dad died when he was 66. I figure I might have 20 years of ministry, good years of ministry left. There's a lot of things I still would like to accomplish in the kingdom of heaven. And I've spent a lot of time this year, I mean a a whole lot of hours, planning the next 20 years. Mark and David Barker and I met and talked about some of those today, the things that God has given us stewardship of over the last 20 years, what we could do with them to God's glory. It's a short time to live to accomplish as much as we want to accomplish. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Better use the days because one day there's not going to be any further time to be able to do what we want to do for the kingdom of heaven and also for our families. It's a short time to be able to build the relationships that we want to have with them, to mold the next generation that will stand over our bodies in, in a funeral service one day and that will live on as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. We can propel them, point them, and then propel them in direction. And just like an arrow can be shot over a wall or into a place that we could never go ourselves, so we can point and propel our children to go into the future where we will never go. But 70 years is not that long to be able to train them. And even that is much less, isn't it? The years that we have to mold them and really to be the primary influencer in their lives. So it's a short time in a way. And really that 70 years is um, something of a myth or an illusion. First five years are spent in infancy and we don't accomplish anything to life's goal in those years. The next 12 to 16 years are spent under tutors, elementary school, high school, college, or vocational training. We don't really get to accomplish much toward our life's goal in those years. And then of the years that are left, we will sleep through 16 of them. That leaves 34 years to accomplish everything we're ever going to accomplish in life. And that's assuming that we will live to be 70 and not everybody does. But life is not a sigh. Life is not a cry. Life is not something to sleep through. With Jesus involved in our lives, life is an adventure. It's a challenge. It's an investment in eternity. And so we we must use this world as those who will soon leave it. We must treat our friends as those whom we will soon part with. And we must discharge our duties as those who will soon give an account for them. This life is short, but it is immortal. It is important. If you wanted to look at life from what we might call the airplane view, looking down at it, every decade has its strengths and its purpose. I'm going to go through these quickly, but everyone in here will be able to find yourself in this list. And you also can anticipate what's coming next. And an unexamined life's not worth living. And your life, if you examine it and you plan for it, then if God allows you to live it as you want as in, into the future, and as delays the sending of His Son and gives you days here, then 
you'll be able to appreciate and use the time better if you understand the strength of each decade. In the teens, those are years of education. It's time, as Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 says, to enjoy life. Those are wonderful times. They're not all serious. But there is a time to be serious in our teen years, to receive the education that will prepare us to do well so we should be serious about serious things and we should enjoy the, the frivolity of youth during those years. Then you have the years of expectancy, the 20s. Everything is in front of us in the 20s. We have great goals. It's an idealistic time. So we're looking to the, the time when we will be married Look to the time when we'll have a family. Look to the career that we're going to have. We anticipate how we're going to serve the Lord and the kingdom as a preacher, an elder, a deacon, a Bible teacher, a missionary, a song leader, a soul winner, whatever it is. It's a time of expectancy in the 20s. The 30s are the years of energy. You'll never have as much energy again as you do in your 30s. You can begin early. You can work. You know, you'll work. Sometimes people will go out and they'll work. Um, what we would call a blue-collar job and work in the field or work in the factory, come home, eat supper, and go play basketball till 10 o'clock at night and get up and do it again the next day. Where do they get that kind of energy? That's the 30s. 20s before that, but those are years of energy. Those are also the career-building, family-building years. That's the time when you're going to establish yourself in whatever work it is that you've chosen to do. It's the time when you're going to have your children. You're going to begin your family. It's the time when most people will be able to um, purchase or build a house and begin to make payments toward it. You'll get settled. Those are years of energy. Use them well. Don't squander the 30s. But the 40s are years of discovery. The wise, a wise man said, no man knows himself until he's 40. Because there, then at that point you have enough life to look back on and the experiences that have taught you something about yourself. And they show your character, how you've been able to withstand temptation, how you've been able to, to deal with challenges, how you've been able to be successful in this endeavor and that one. And so you've discovered who you are by your 40s. Those are really productive years in your 40s. The 50s are years of harvest. Galatians 6 7 says, If we sow the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow the spirit, we shall reap life everlasting. It begins to show up in our 50s. It shows up in three ways. If we have sown to the flesh, it will show up in our bodies in the 50s. If we have lived a profligate lifestyle, then our bodies will begin to break down in the 50s. The liver, the lungs, the limbs, injuries that, came, that resulted because of it, diseases, those all begin to show up generally in the 50s. If we've taken care of ourselves, those are very good, healthy years. It also shows up financially. If we have had holes in our pockets all these years, we get to the 50s, and all of a sudden we just say, hey, I don't have that many years to work. And I'm going to be retired in about 50. And then people begin to try to put some money together and the, the financial advisors say, you know, if you would started 20 years ago, you really could have something. It's really hard at this point. What often happens is by that time there's child uh, payments going out here and there and everywhere. And the money that could have been used to build a stable life and retirement is not there. Sometimes there are alimony payments to be made. 
There are hospital there, And so it comes home to roost in, in the 50s. It also shows up in family or in relationships. If one has built uh, on the sand of life, to use Jesus' figure, then there, then there may be ruined relationships and a long record of them. As, um, estrangement from children, from previous spouses, friends who were fair-weather friends but not here anymore, and so it shows up. But on the other hand, you're here tonight indicating an interest in sowing to the Spirit. And that's going to pay off in dividends in those same areas. You're physically... Physically, you're going to be blessed, generally speaking. There are exceptions to that, of course. Financially, if you have been frugal with your money and used it wisely, God's blessed you. That's going to, it's going to begin to pay off in the 50s. You probably have your house paid off somewhere in there. Your children may be through college, and so that expense is out of the way. It will also show up in your relationships. You really have, by this time, a strong relationship with your life's partner and with your children, they're now old enough to have a friendship and be companions to you and may even be starting their own families. And so at that point, uh, the reaping of the Spirit comes in. But it's built on the past. Those are years of harvest. The 60s are years of wisdom. It's then when you're being sought out by others to serve the Lord, often as an elder or as a family who's patriarch serves as an elder in the church. You've probably worked your way up in your business so that now others look to you to make the difficult decisions, come to you for advice when it's needed, maybe sought out in your community or in your family, extended family. Years of wisdom. Seventy, those are years of legacy. We put the crowning touches on a life that's been well spent. Eighties are bonus years. If by reason of strength, four score years, and those, if God gives us strength to use them, Sometimes we may still and yet remain faithful and productive in the kingdom of heaven. I remember preaching on a lectureship in Mechanicsville, Virginia, some years ago. And uh, the brother who spoke before me was Brother Perry Cotham. At that time he lived in Texas. We were speaking in Virginia. And he had traveled by himself. And he preached, I still remember the lesson, he preached on marriage, divorce, and remarriage and did a marvelous job on a difficult subject, you know. At that time he was past 100 years old and 100 years of age. I know of preachers that are very effective into their, into their 80s. And you know those in this congregation and other places that even into that advanced, in those advanced years they can do much in the kingdom of heaven. So, life's outer limits. But let's also go back into this verse and observe that it's, it talks about life's common heritage in the middle part. And if by reason of strength forced or years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. What was it that Adam was told because of the sin in the garden, but by the sweat of his brow would he eat his bread? What was it that Eve was told because of her participation in sin, that her desire would be to her husband, he would rule over her, and that her pain would be greatly magnified in childbirth? And so we as descendants of that first couple have inherited that difficulty, not the guilt of their sin, but we have certainly inherited the difficulty of life from that sin, and not just because of their sin, but because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we understand something about labor. We learn something about sorrow. And especially as we age, there are four things that are part of life's common experience, generally speaking. One is the decline of physical health. 
Ecclesiastes 12, 1 and 9 speaks of the, the grinders are few, the trembling of the body, the, the almond tree flourishing as the hair turns color and the bowing of the... and the strength is no longer there. You know, and you may remember a time and it may even seem like we still ought to be able to pick up this truck and let somebody change the tire while we're holding it there, but we don't do that. We never did that, but it seems like we could have done that at one time. But as we age, the strength isn't there. The stamina isn't there that we had in our youth. And sometimes even having good days stringed together from one to the next. You know, it may be that we have energy to work today, but we have to pay for it tomorrow. And so we see our strength waning in our later years. Moses was unusual in that. His natural face was, uh, strength was unabated even at 120 years old, Deuteronomy 34.7. But that was unusual. Most of us see our physical strength waning in our later years. It's a part of this, this being in these bodies. The second thing is that our minds are not as sharp as they were in our youth. You may share a good collective memory with your spouse. What was that guy's name? Do you find yourself asking your spouse, or, or he, will, he knows his things and she knows her things? But somebody said, you know, I have total recall, but not same-day service anymore. You know, I can remember it when I get home, but I don't have it right here like I used to be able to come up with it. So our minds begin, you can't memorize Scripture as well. You know, in your, in, in your youth, you can look at a verse and read it three or four times, look up from it and say it, and that would be it. You'd have it. But it's not easy to do as we age, our minds are as sharp. You also have a depression of spirit that naturally sets in as we, as we age, some of that's related to our natural hormones, some of it's related to our situations in life, dealing with pain, dealing with difficulties. And then there is the loss of friends. Some of you have been to cemeteries and laid the dearest on earth to you in that grave. I mentioned the brother, our new brother who's 87 half years old yesterday. I was visiting in his home on Thursday. Quite an interesting uh, life experiences he's had. But he said, you know, last month I buried my friend of 35 years. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to make a new friend. That's a part of this labor and sorrow that he's talking about in this text. You know, but it has a purpose. What's the purpose? It serves these two purposes. It serves the purpose of helping us desire to go to heaven. You know, I've preached on heaven all my preaching career. I started at 18 years old, and now I've been preaching these years. I've always preached on heaven, but the emphasis has changed over the years. In our youth, we can talk about heaven, but as we age, we've got people there. You know, we've got, we've got people on the other side at least, waiting for the judgment to be entered in ultimately into heaven itself with, with God. And it becomes so much more personal. And heaven is not just a theory, but somewhere I really want to go. At some point, you'll look around if you live long enough and you'll say, you know, I've got more people over there than i got left here. Won't that be something? You see, death is not a tragedy in the life of a Christian. Death is a transition. Death is not something to be dreaded so much as it is something to be anticipated. Um, one, one lady 
said, asked the preacher to come by. I want you to, I want to help, I want you to help me plan my funeral. And so he went by and he sat down and they, she talked about her favorite songs and scriptures and he was making notes, you know, what she wanted, who she wanted to be the pallbearers. And then she, he, she said, uh, well, I want, I want to be buried with my Bible. I want you to put it under my arm. Because that's important to me and I want people to know it is. And I want you to bury me, put in my other hand, a fork. And he thought she was really, you know, <laughs> losing it. And, and she, he said, did you say you wanted a fork in your hand? And she said, yes. Well, why would you want a fork? She said, they're going to ask you about that fork when they come up to view the body. And I want you to tell them that Aunt Marty loved church fellowships. And that as she aged, I couldn't go through the line anymore. So they would bring me my plate. And when I was finished, somebody would come and say, Aunt Marty, could I get that plate for you? And so I'd give it to them. And they'd say, you better keep your fork because I'll bring your dessert to you. And she said, that meant it was a good dessert. It wasn't some pudding or ice cream you needed a spoon for. It was a cake or a pie or something good that you needed a fork for. And you tell them when they see that fork that Aunt Marnie believed the best was yet to come. You know, there is labor and sorrow here, but the best is yet to come. It also serves this purpose. It helps our families turn, turn loose of us. It's hard to lose a loved one. But it's easier to lose a loved one who, whom we have seen go through this process and to know that, that they've been hurting, their bodies have been giving way to a disease or injury, and, and to know that, you know, they're not hurting anymore. They, they've moved on to get a new body and a new place. It's going to be a reunion on the other side. So it helps us make the transition because of the labor and sorrow. This text also talks about a third point. Uh, it says, The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off. Life's sudden ending. Sometimes life is, life's ending is very sudden. One of our a lady that's been visiting with us, com coming with her mother is one of our members. Her husband fell off a roof two weeks ago. Got out of bed that morning, went to work, fell off a roof, never came home. He died. Sometimes life is like that. It's so uncertain. But even when it is, as it normally is, a protracted decline, it still comes fast at the end. Anybody here old enough to remember VHS tapes? Yes. <laughs> Uh, cassette tapes, anybody old enough for cassettes, maybe? Do you remember those little stickers they would put on them when you rented them? Please be kind, rewind, or don't be fine, rewind. These, they don't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> you remember rewinding those things and they start off, same thing with a cassette tape, going really slow. Then it gets to the middle, it's going faster. And then as it gets near the end, it's going really fast. That's the way life is. Starts off seeming like it's three years from one Christmas to the next. <laughs> and then you get to your, you know, 30s and it's, you know, you get this year's Christmas paid off by next year and it seems about right, you know, one per year. 
And then you get older and it seems like they come around every three months, you know. Life is going by so fast. And how much time do we have left? You know, you can figure it up. I did this. There's, there are websites you could do this. It's a, it sounds a little morbid, but it's actually interesting to do. Death calculators. You could put in your uh, age, your um, race, your different factors, and then hit the button, and it will tell you the day that you are most likely to die on. I was supposed to live to be 82. Um, and this is like April 23rd, 20, whatever. Um, but who knows if we have that much time? We may not. We may not live till tomorrow. Or we may live for, some in here may live, may be alive 75 years from tonight. But whenever it comes, death will come fast for that person at the end. And so, how foolish it is for a person to think that they will live to be a hundred just because they knew somebody who lived to be a hundred. That's like saying, I'm going to be saved at the last minute because the thief on the cross was. How foolish is that? Don't expect to live longer because someone else did, but use the days, whatever number it is that God gives, for the purpose of preparing to meet Him if it's early or if it is late. And then the last part of the verse says, and we fly away. That's life's final transition. If you wanted to think about it, it's like <clears throat> the bird soars heavenward, the chain breaks, and the ship sets sail on the sea of eternity. The leather strap is loosed, and the eagle mounts to his native air above the clouds. What is what is death? But man's final transition, it's not the end. When they come and they, they bring the body to the funeral, to the cemetery, that's not us. That's the tent that we lived in. We have gone on. James 2.26, the very definition of death is a separation of the soul from the body, so we're not there anymore. We've moved on. And one day that body will be resurrected, made immortal, And even though life is short, it is immortal. We should not be so discouraged by the frailty of life as we are inspired by its immortality. There's a difference between eternity and immortality. God is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2, From everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. From everlasting. God had no beginning. To everlasting. God has no end. God is an eternal being. We are not. We are immortal beings. We had a beginning, but we will have no end. Life's final transition from this world is not an end, but a graduation of something else, something better. And then these bodies that may have been imperfect in some ways all of our lives, perhaps at the end became dysfunctional in several ways, they will be corrected, and we will be in heaven in a place where we will no no longer be concerned about such things as pain. And I've been preaching now for 35 minutes or 40 minutes. And some of you are, even though you've paid really good attention tonight, you're beginning just to move around a little, a little antsy. It's not because you're not interested in Psalm 90 or you're somehow less spiritual than somebody else. It's because you're hurting your hip, your knee, your shoulder, your back. Some of you know more about pain in a day and some of these young folks know about pain in a, in a month. 
that you won't have any pain over there. I don't know what your last tear will be about, but I know what will happen to it. Revelation 7.17, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The things that bring us down here won't be over there. The joy... Psalm 16.11, In thy presence there is joy forevermore. Here our joys are intermixed with our sorrows. You know, the little angels come to see us, the, the grandchildren, the little devils leave, you know. Uh, the, the joys, even, even when it's, uh, you know, they, we anticipate the family coming in for the holiday, but then it's over so soon and we won't see them again for a few months. You see where our joys are mixed here. But there they're not. We're not bound by time. We're not ever going to find anything to spoil our inheritance to make it corruptible. First Peter 1, 3, and 4. Last final transition. I want to ask you tonight as we close, are you ready for that final transition? It may be a long time for you. It may not be, regardless of your time, your age, your chronological age. Every preacher has preached the funeral of young people. Old people must die, young people do die. But even if, you're, if you were guaranteed to live to be a hundred years old, would you want to give the devil another day of your life in his service? Why would you? He's never done anything for you and the devil gives all of his pleasures up front and you have to pay the toll on the back side. God gives his joy now, but it increases over time. And everything that God wants of you will only make your life better. Everything the devil has to offer you will only eventually make your life worse. Why give the devil another day of your life? Have you been thinking about being a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all of your heart? Maybe your presence here tonight would indicate a measure of faith. John 8.24, unless you believe that I am He, you should die in your sins, Jesus said. Have you ever let that faith be translated into action? In other words, you believe it with your mind, has it changed the way you live? That's repentance. A change of mind that produces a change of behavior. I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you, all, you shall all likewise perish. It's imperative that a person repents, turn from sin to Him. If you've already repented of sin, and often that pro- that's a process, sometimes you'll begin a Bible study with someone, someone studying with one of our football players at Jack State a while back. We had studies every week or so. And he said about the third time, he said, uh, you know, I moved out from my girlfriend. I'm not living with her anymore, and I'm, I'm not using the language. I-. What was happening in his life? The Gospel was causing repentance. Maybe you're already at that point where you're weeding out the things you know God would not approve of. And maybe all that's left for you tonight to complete your obedience is to let others know of the faith that dwells in your heart and for you to be immersed in water, to be baptized, and every sin washed away. You could leave this building tonight in a safe condition, ready for that final transition, and ready to help others to prepare for that day. If you need to respond tonight to be baptized, the water's ready. There are garments into which you could change. There's no reason that one could not do it even before the service ends. If you haven't been a faithful Christian and you're thinking about life in these terms, you say, I need to make some changes. I'm ready to start again. I want to be restored. Why not tonight?
We'll pray with you and for you. This church will encourage you. And you, will, you can use the balance of your days in the service of the great God. You can sprint for the finish line, however many years it is that you have left. And who knows what God might do with you based on decisions made in this room in the next five minutes during the singing of this song. Will you come while we stand and ask?